Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled Imitate, a study on the book of 1 Thessalonians. For more information about CBC or how to get plugged in, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. By your strength and by your grace, that you are a strong and mighty God, and that we now are your holy place, that we, by your spirit, uh, which we dwell, Lord, we, we are holy, because and you have made us that way, and sometimes we don't live that way, and we need to repent, we need to come to you, and we need to uh, confess, but Lord, you have ultimately justified us, you have told us there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus And so we rejoice, and we come this morning as your people to celebrate, to encourage. Maybe some came hesitantly, maybe some are the first time they're here, and they don't know why they're here, but you have brought them here to hear the mighty word of God, that that you have come to, to encourage and to challenge and to confront and to comfort whatever is necessary through your word. And so I pray this morning you would. We believe in the supernatural power of of your spirit working through broken men like me. We believe in the supernatural power of the scripture, which you inspired so that that we may be equipped for every good work. And so I ask and I pray that right now, Father, for your son's name and in the power of your spirit, you would take the scripture, which is true and pure and sweet, and and use it to build up your church in a way that, that only you can do. And so I just I ask you to do that for the, for the name of Christ and so that your people uh, who you love are shepherded and comforted and, and uh, cherished and, and nurtured by your scripture. So it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. All right, one more quick announcement for next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday's sermon is rated PG-13, all right? And so I'm telling you that because as parents, we, we're not trying to take your job as parents. We don't want to be the parents of your kids. It is your role, your responsibility, your privilege. And next week's topic is just a little bit more adult. And so if you have elementary kids, I would probably, my two elementary kids are, are not going to come to service next week. They come every Sunday, but they won't come next week. They'll just go to class. And so it's your call if you want them in here. I just don't want to open a can of worms that you don't feel like your kids are ready to have open yet, uh, and so I'm just telling you now, so don't get all mad at me, because I'm going I'm, I'm to be very straightforward next week. Topic that's very relevant to where our culture is, and so you can read chapter four for yourself this week, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to be crazy, but I'm just going to be accurate, and I don't want to have to tiptoe around. So, so if you've got elementary, I would suggest send them to class. Middle school, that's your call. If you're like, ah, I got a young middle schooler, middle school meets during this hour, so it's perfect for you guys or over and across the street. So if you feel like at high school, you're like, well, I don't know if my high school kid needs to be here, then you don't know high school kids. Okay. Because you're like, oh, my high school kid does nothing about that. Yeah. <laughs> and where have you been sleeping for the last 40 years? Because they know everything and more than you think they know. But yet they don't know anything because their buddy on the bus told them. All right. So... So anyway, we're going to talk about these things next week and just be very frank and have a good discussion and hopefully it'll be encouragement to us as a church. But just heads up there, all right? Um, Next thing is this. I bragged on you guys a little bit to the nine o'clock service because you guys were great last week uh, and they were mad, all right? So now we got this little competition coming between the services and just letting you know. So you better bring it today. Remember, this is a audience participation, not just verbally, but just you're engaged. And so I've been, I've been talking you guys up a little bit to the nine o'clock. And so they, they realize that they may not be the, the, the favored child anymore. So they're gonna, they brought it today. So I'm just letting you know, okay? Um, let's jump in. Have you ever been misunderstood? Where you, you this was your intent to, you, to say this, to do this, but something happened, and you don't know what happened, but something happened, and the way it was taken was misunderstood and twisted, and now you got this breach in a relationship that was not there. I mean, everything was perfect. It was great. And something happened, and you don't even know how it happened, but it happened, and now there's this huge division and this huge divide because someone said this, but they didn't mean this, but this is what came out, and so the intent was here, and what happened was here, and now you got a breach in a relationship, whether it's from family, whether it's a brother, whether it's a boss, Right, whether it's a spouse, 
All the men, have you done this before? Wives are like, you've done this this morning, yesterday? You haven't done every day except for Tuesday, right? It's constantly happening. And, and certainly there are times when people intentionally hurt people, and I get that. But what often happens, and what we see a ton as we do counseling things, is there's this happened, and, and it was misunderstood, and because it wasn't dealt with, now we've gotten intentional, and we got World War Z going on, right? And, and it's just gotten out of hand, because it just culminates because of a misunderstanding way back front where intentions were not understood or they're misunderstood and boom, it just blows up. And so it comes out with things like, well, if you really loved me, you never would have done that. Or if you really knew me, you don't really know me. Do you know me? How have you been married for 25 years and you don't know me? Okay, it's, it's conversations like that. I've never had them, but I'm sure some of you have, okay? And so there's pain and there's hurt and it spins out of control, it happens. This is not one of those hallelujah moments. If you're like, hallelujah, then it is the wrong moment, all right? Because it's, it's not fun. But here's the thing. Here's the beauty of a scripture. This is why I love the scripture, because it's real, it's tangible, real people, real issues, real brokenness. Doesn't put anybody up on a pedestal except for Christ, right? Everyone's got brokenness. Even the apostle Paul has this kind of stuff happen to him. The great apostle, the great communicator is misunderstood. And what we're going to see today, as we look at our text, is the Apostle Paul's intent was misunderstood. And there's this potential breach, right? And we're going to get to see from reading their mail, because remember, this, this was not written to us. It was for us, but it wasn't to us, the book of First Thessalonians. And we're going to get to kind of sneak peek and see how the Apostle Paul handled it when he was misunderstood. So that when you are either the misunderstood or the misunderstood e whether you're the source of the problem or the object of the problem, you know how to handle it. And so we can mend these breaches that constantly are happening. And we can imitate the Apostle Paul as he is imitating Christ, because that's what we've been talking about. All right, so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 today. And we're going to look uh, from verse 17 all the way to the end of chapter 3. So we've got a lot of text today. And here's where we've been so far. If you've kind of been new, you're new, you've been missing for a couple of weeks. Apostle Paul plants a church in this mega city called Thessalonica. Right? And he's only there for a few short day, few short weeks, few short months. We don't know exactly, but it's not a lot of time. And he has run out of town. His life is in danger. And, and he is nervous about this group of people he has left behind because they're rookies. They're green. And he's worried if they can handle the opposition that's coming because the church started in opposition. It's facing opposition. And so he's concerned and he's worried and he doesn't want them to quit. And he's trying to get back and he can't. He's trying to get back and he can't. He's trying to get back and he can't. And so finally he sends Timothy to find out about him. But meanwhile, while he is gone trying to get back, all the opponents of the Apostle Paul start talking to these Thessalonians. And they start saying things like, Paul doesn't care about y'all. If Paul cares, where is he? Hadn't sent a letter, hadn't sent him, he hadn't come back, no tweets, no, no Instagram, nothing, no texts. Where's Paul? If he cares about you so much, where is he? He's just another one of these traveling salesmen out to make a dollar. He just wanted your money. And then when things got tough and the money ran out, he bolted. Just, just a, he's, he's just another typical dude that's out for himself, an opportunist. And some of these Thessalonians believers are starting to think, man, maybe that's true. I mean, after all, he is gone. He hasn't been back. And I mean, it's not like things are better now. Before Paul, everything was fine. Now it's like, family's a mess. Everything's crazy. All these people hate me now because I follow Jesus. Has he made things better? And they're starting to believe. So what you have is intent of Paul and you have misunderstanding. And now you have this potential breach. And so the apostle is going to deal with it in this section specifically of scripture that we're going to get to see today. And we're going to get to see his heart. And it teaches us really kind of five big picture things of how, to, how do we handle these things that happen every day, all the time. Five words, okay? So I'm going to have you say them loud. I'm going to have you shout them because you're competing with the nine o'clock service because I'm driving a wedge in between you guys. It's a good wedge. It's a, it's a spiritual wedge. But, but I want you to understand. I want you to know, because remember, if I hear, I forget. I see, I remember, but I do, and I, and I understand. And so I want a little bit, as much as we can get some doing going on in this room. I'm excited about that. So let me jump in. We'll start talking about these five words. Verse 16, excuse me, verse 17. 
And remember, he's just complimented them how they received the word. He's told them that the reason they're facing suffering is because everyone is. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And so you have right off the bat him saying, you know, the, the opponents are saying, well, they don't really care about you. They don't really, they've forgotten all about you. They're only interested in, in, in their, own, their own person, their own, their own deal there. And Paul is saying, look, this may be how you feel. This may be what you read. And he's not discounting feelings. He's not saying, oh, you're just wrong and your feelings are wrong, right? Because people feel things. They may be, they may be wrong, but they still feel them. He says, you may feel that we abandon you. You may feel that we don't care. But let me tell you how we really feel. We were torn away. And it is a strong Greek word. Torn away is not strong enough. It is the word for made orphans. That you were made orphans. That we were made orphans. The picture here is a mom with a baby ripped out of her arms. A dad whose little little child is, is stolen out of his arms. He says, you want to know how we felt? Our hearts were ripped out. And we kept trying to get back. We try to get back. We try to get back. It's like, you know, the, the, remember Home Alone? You know, Kevin, ah, you know, the, the, and the whole movie is this mama trying to get home to this kid, right? And she finally gets home and it's like, yeah, better yet. For the men in the room, the movie Taken with Liam Nielsen, remember? Okay, his daughter's Taken, what does he do? I'm gonna come kill you, you know, right? And then he goes through and murders all these. It's great, great movie, right? That's not what Paul does though, okay? But that's the idea. His daughter is taken and he goes to all lengths to get back. What Paul is saying is, you're hearing that we don't care. It's, that's the furthest thing from the truth. We kept coming again and again. It was like we were about to get on this one ship and it was gonna go. And all of a sudden the mast falls over. You couldn't believe it. And we're like, what in the world? And then we go over to this, we go over here and we get on these camels. We're going to ride these camels back. And this guy's got his camels and the camels start puking everywhere and they get sick. And we're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And then we try to start walking through this city and there's wanted posters for Paul, Puzzle Paul, wanted, you know, dead or alive. So we can't go through there. We tried and tried and tried to get back to you and we couldn't. Why? Key phrase at the end of the verse, Satan hindered us. The enemy, Satan just means adversary, right? The adversary hindered us. And any time, y'all, the scripture points to the activity and work of Satan, it is a call for the people of God to be vigilant, to wake up, to be aware. Because what scripture teaches is there were created by God before probably Genesis 1 at some point, an innumerable amount of angelic host, right? We don't know how. He talks about a number too great to, to count. And one a third of those number too great to count fell with Satan, are now called demons. So how many, of one, how many is one third of an uncountable, innumerable? A lot. Certainly enough to assign everyone in this room at least one demon to just follow you around and call it heartache. And certainly enough to cause every believer in the world. Certainly enough for that. And their main, one of their main jobs, y'all, is to drive wedges in these relationships with matter. Husband, wife, father, son, boss, employee, community group leader, community group person, pastor, whatever, to just drive those wedges in those relationships with me the most. Here's our first word as we are looking to mend these deals. It's, it's, it's very simple. It is to recognize the source. Key word, recognize. Everyone say Recognize. Okay, good. You're more awake than nine o'clock. Very good. You're off to a good start. I don't, we'll see how you finish, but that's pretty good, right? You want to recognize, not, no, not every conflict is satanic. I'm not saying that. I'm, oh, there's a demon in the cupboard because my wife's yelling at me. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Now, there are demons in our kids constantly. We know that, right? But, uh, but you have to recognize that, that Satan is constantly deceitfully at work, and he is often the source of these little misunderstandings. Three words I want you to remember. Disguise, divide, destroy. There's his strategy. Paul says, we are not ignorant of his schemes, of his designs. He is constantly scheming. He is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
I don't want you to be ignorant. Paul wasn't ignorant. He says, you need to understand he will come and he will disguise himself as an angel of light. He is the author of confusion. He comes whispering in the ear. Apostle Paul doesn't care about you. If he loved you, he'd be here. He just wanted your money. He just wanted your food. He doesn't really love anybody except himself. And what the enemy is, one of his best tactics is getting you to attribute motive. Well, this is why they didn't call me back. I know why. I know exactly why she didn't say hi to me in the hallway. I know, I know exactly what she was thinking. You really do? Sovereign one? Really? You can read their hearts and minds? What am I thinking right now? Right? You, you don't know. And he gets you to do it all the time. The, the enemy is an expert at making a thing a thing that is not a thing. He does it all the time. Right? He confuses. He, he comes as an angel of light. He disguises so that he can divide this parent and this child with this parent and this child. Right? Anyone ever see that in the house? This teenager with this parent, this teenager with this parent. And they're going, oh, you're always side with them. And blah, blah, blah. That's what he does with this teenager and his parents. He will get you teens, high schoolers, middle schoolers, to think these two people who have sacrificed thousands of dollars, sleepless nights, energy, passion, they are the enemy. But this 15-year-old dude in skinny jeans he really loves me. He really cares. He really has, he's got passion and he's so wise. He's so smart. He's got like a thousand Instagram followers. And those two people, my mom's got a master's and my dad, he's, you know, he owns his own business, but they're morons. This 15 year old knows everything. And they've, oh yeah, that's a, yeah, you're great. It's the enemy disguising and dividing to get this husband to think, you know, my wife, she doesn't listen to me. She doesn't respect my opinion. But this, this lady that works in the, in, the, in the office next to me, she always wants to know what I think. She's always coming to me for advice. She's always thinking, man, she really cares about me. She doesn't. Meanwhile, this lady over here is working next to this guy. And he's always telling her, hey, you know how pretty you are today? Oh, I n- noticed your hair. You got your hair cut. And all. Where did you get those shoes? And oh, isn't that great? And uh, what? My husband never says anything about that. He didn't even know I got haircut. He won't know until the credit card bill comes. <laughs> and he, they don't know my shoes. You know, he don't know, you know, whatever from whatever. And, and see, this guy really loves me. This guy really cares about me. He doesn't. And so he comes to divide and he comes to destroy because he hates you. He hates your soul. He hates your kids. He hates this church. He hates your community group. He doesn't want you to have a reputation of, 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 of Christ. He hates everything. And when you start seeing selfishness, bitterness, understand what is under that. The writer, James says that that, that, is, that is not wisdom that comes from above, that is earthly it is natural. It is demonic. Is there all this bitterness and stuff going on? That is demonic. The enemy is often behind that scheming. Do not let him make a thing a thing that is not a thing. Because it, it happens all the time. And look, people do dumb stuff. I realize it was not the wisest thing for your husband to get you a treadmill for your 10th anniversary. I understand. And a yoga mat. Okay, Whatever. But, but you got to understand, maybe he did it because he heard you talking about, well, I just want to get in shape and I don't have time and blah, blah, blah. And he's thinking, I'm helping her. You're thinking, I'm hefty, hefty, hefty. And he thinks so. <laughs> See, that's the difference. He's thinking, I'm being a good husband. I just want to provide for her and meet her need. And that's going to be great. She's going to be so happy. I got the top of the line one. It's the Mercedes of treadmills. And she's thinking, he thinks I'm ugly. Intent and what actually happened. Happens all the time, right? And men do dumb stuff. Just understand that. You married him. It's not my fault, all right? We do dumb stuff. You knew that going in if you got premarital counseling, right? Understood. Maybe this person's not, it's not that they, they don't want to be with you and eat dinner with you, but they just have to work late and you don't have to attribute motive and you don't have to make it more than the thing the thing, right? This person got the compliment, but you didn't. doesn't mean that you're unappreciated, Recognize the enemy takes those little things and he twists it and he disguises it and he wants to divide, he wants to destroy. And what you need to do before you start jumping to conclusions is stop and just think. Let's just think about this for a minute. What's going on here? That you are in a spiritual battle. You have a real enemy. 
whose main goal often is to pull you away. He, he wants to isolate you. Understand that. One of his greatest tactics is to divide you so you are isolated, so that you are separate from your spouse. And now you guys are sleeping in different rooms, not talking. That you, high schooler, are so mad at your parents, you just come in the house and you go upstairs and you're on your phone. My parents stink. Take a picture. My parents stink. <laughs> to isolate you, to, to pull you out. Uh, you're in this great church and you love it and it's great and everyone's friendly and all of a sudden someone does something and now I'm gone. And no one ever even called me. And no one even knows. That's just because he gets you alone, much easier to take you down. That's his goal. Right? So, and I'm not saying this to get all hokey pokey with you. I just want you to know hokey pokey, hocus pocus, not hokey pokey. We can do the hokey pokey though if you want. <laughs> but, but I want you to understand that you have a real enemy, recognize he is there. There's not a demon under every rock, but often the time, the source of these things. And you, understand, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have, I mean, yes, Satan is a powerful adversary. But compared to the greater one who is in you than he is in the world, he is nothing. And understand this, that Satan at the cross and at the resurrection has been defeated. So he has been disarmed. Now, does he, is he still doing some stuff? For a temporary amount of time, yes. But he's done. We know who wins. It's, it's really the analogy I like to think about. It's like the brave season. It's over. I mean, they may win a game here or there still, but it's done. The season's over. That's him. He might win a little here or there. He might show, show a, little, a little spark. But in the end, it's done. Right? That, so you understand you don't have to fear. You can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You can use your spiritual armor. You can resist the devil and he will flee. But if you're not aware of it, you will not. That's the key. So the first word is what? Again? Very good. And I just want us to recognize it. Okay? Next verse. Verse 19. He's just explaining. He's like, okay, Satan kept us. What? He says, for what is our hope or our joy? Notice he's asking questions. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Isn't it you? You are our glory and our joy. You think that we don't care. Right? You think that we, we didn't come back because we're just busy and we don't have time? He says, you think, we think we just left town because we're just weak. It's not because we don't care. You are all we care about. Where's our hope or joy? Is it not you? What is our crown? Is it not you? Right? And I love this word that he uses for, for crown. It's the Greek word stephanos. And, it, and, and the, we don't do crowns anymore, but we, we do. The modern day equivalent is, is a trophy. Right? It's like a trophy. How many of you got trophies? Anybody got trophies? Not participation. Don't raise your hand if you got a participation trophy. It doesn't count. That does not count. I mean, a real trophy. None of you won anything? Great. That's even better. All right. There we go. We got a trophy down here. All right. And if you're, if you're, still, if you're 45 and you still have your trophies, get a life. All right. Another story. But unless it's a championship ring for like the national championship for football, you can keep that. All right. But if it's like, you know, I won the Ohio Division One, I, I don't care. All right. But here's the thing. When you got that trophy, man, you were like, this is awesome. Right? You got that little thing, you're 12 years old and you're shining that thing out. You're like, man, this is great. You put it right up front. You showed your friends. Right? Where is it now? You're 50. Probably somewhere in your mom's attic. My mom was here last week. We went out to the baseball field and, and Pop was playing baseball with the kids and I'm up in the field and then there was a ball out and I kind of half-heartedly dove for it, about ripped my rib cage out. <laughs> but I caught it. And there's my mom, 60-something years old. She's like, oh, like I was 18 again, right? And she's like, oh, Billy, he, was, he won the gold glove his senior year. And he's telling my wife and my wife's like, oh, you never told me you won the gold glove, you know, your senior year. I'm like, that's because no one cares. I, that's, and I don't care. No one is coming saying, hey, who won the 1992 Patriot League gold level glove award? I wouldn't want to know that, right? No one cares. Right? It's a useless trophy. And some of you right now, you are spending your lives on useless trophies. You got a car in the garage from the 60s and you're shining it every day and you're, ooh, you treat it like a baby. Or maybe it's a, a, a title or a bank account or a boat or a hobby. Maybe it's ministry and that's this trophy of yours that you're so thinking about. And it's a useless trophy. You wanna know who my trophies are? It's, it's Sarah. It's Samuel, 
it's Susanna, it's Seth, and it's Trip. Not Milton, the dog. <laughs> Those are my trophies. Those matter. Job, doesn't matter. Being on stage, doesn't matter. They matter. And what Paul is saying is, y'all are all that matters. You're all that matters. And, and let me just say this to you guys, right? As a staff and as elders, you know what our trophy is? What we talk about? We don't talk about stage and windows and all these things. You. We do all this for you. You are our joy. The reason we keep coming in, the reason I keep working hard at preaching and teaching and, and, and spending time and doing is you. You is what matters. Building no matter. Who cares? We can go to a movie theater. We can go anywhere. Y'all matter. We are thankful for you. And here's the thing. Sometimes you don't feel that way. And rightfully so. Because we do, we do something stupid. Not intentionally. But, you know, you're in the hospital and no one knows and no one shows up and it hurts you or no one thanks you for this or someone calls and they don't get a call back for two weeks or someone fills out a card and, and no one responds, not timely. And, and what you need to know is it is never our intent ever as a staff or elders to, to disappoint or hurt you, but it happens. It happens. And, and I want you to know that that is, is not purposeful. I just understand that. And we're sorry when that does. And we'll own it and, and we'll try to do better. But here's what Paul does. And here's, what, here's our second word. He verbalizes people's value. Second word is verbalize. Say it. Verbalize. All right, I got two eyes, right? Recognize, verbalize. I ain't got no more eyes for you. So that's only helpful for the first two. Recognize, but verbalize. What does he say? You matter. You are important. This is, this, is what, this is what we're doing, right? This is what happens. And, and, and he's not saying it because of what they do or how great they are at church. It's because of who they are. They're people. Look, your kids are gonna mess up. They're gonna go 0 for 4 and they're gonna lose the game and they're gonna get a D. And someone in your house is gonna disappoint you and hurt you. And someone's gonna not be there when you want them to. And someone's gonna you know, forget this and it was so important to you and they forget it. And you know what? You're going to do it to someone else. But the way we keep these wedges from, from getting big and we keep them, keep them closed and not letting them get out of hand is we are constantly verbalizing to people their value. That mamas and daddies, that you're constantly telling those kids, I don't care if they're 20, I love you, I love you. And you're like, I know mom. Good. If they're saying, I know mom, that's a good thing because you've been saying it, right? That you're, that you're telling your boys, I'm proud of you. That you're, that you're always saying, hey, I, I, I've forgiven you. That you're expressing value. I miss you. I appreciate you. I love you. Constantly. Because life is too short, y'all, for you to still be ticked off at your brother for something he did 12 years ago. I'm sorry. And I'm not denying the pain of that and the reality of that. But if, if he dies tomorrow, you're going to go to his funeral and you are going to feel so bad because you're like, why did I not call him? Why am I still not talking to my mom? And she's been calling me and I haven't called her back. Why? Why did I do that? Why, don't, why won't I call my son? It's been four years. I, you, you just, in eternity, is that going to matter? And that's where Paul goes, by the way. He says, when Jesus comes, and he constantly talks about that, right? When Jesus comes, is this going to be an issue? No, these little wedges, these little squabbles, these little whatevers, it's not going to be an issue. So don't let it be. And if they've wounded you and they've hurt you, I get that. I'm not downplaying. But how much would it go to mending that deal, whatever it is, for you to call and say, I just miss you. We miss you in our community group. I, I miss seeing you at Thanksgiving. I love you. I love you, son. It's, it's huge. It's huge. All right. What's our first word? Second word? Very good. All right. There's your two Isis. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I know you're like, oh, we're going to a new chapter. That's because the chapter divisions are artificial. Remember, it wasn't Paul saying, oh, this is a good place to put a number, three. You know, it, those were written a millennium after 
the Apostle Paul was already in heaven by some guy who apparently did not know what he was doing at this point because it's the worst, one of the worst chapter divisions in all the Bible. He must have been late at night and he had not got much sleep because he started a new chapter. But this is the same flow of argument that he's just been talking about. He says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one be moved for these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. He says, hey, we could take it no more. I've been trying to get back. I couldn't do it. So I did the next best thing. I sent my number one guy, Timothy. Timothy was a major part of this team. He's the young buck. He's the strength, right? Remember, they got to work all day long. They're tent making. So they're working all day long. He, he removes one third of their income to send away, right? He is the one that also that encourages. And, and when Paul is feeling down and when he's tired and when he wants to quit, he looks over at this young 20-year-old. He's like, I can't quit because I got guys like him around. So he's a huge encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And, and let me just side note just for a second. Young people, middle school, high school, Young, you know, singles, college, uh, young professionals, whatever we call them, everything. We got like this whole thing. But folks that don't have gray yet, all right, that's you. Let me just tell you how important you are to this body. And I know you don't realize it. You're like, well, I don't really give much and I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of time. I'm in med school. When I often will meet with some of the older members of our congregation, 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, and I'm like, why, you know, why this church of all churches that's a little louder than you're used to? It's a different style. And I have had on so many occasions, folks say, there's so many young people at your church. We just love that. We just love it. And you need to know, young people, that is huge for this 68-year-old dude who's been walking with Jesus for 45 years. And he sees a 16-year-old down front with the hands up. Man, dude, that makes his day. And when I walk around on the Sundays, I'm not preaching and I get to go upstairs and I was upstairs a couple weeks ago looking at the kindergartners worship and there was, you know, all the helpers, almost every one of the helper was like a 23 year old. And then some of them were married, you know, this new couple and the guy is like, he has no clue. He's over in the corner. Like, I don't want any of these. All right. <laughs> but the girl's like all down in the air. She's playing with them. And it was just awesome to see the young folks, high school kids that are, that are working in these ministries, high school students. You ought to be plugged into a ministry somewhere and serving here. It's, it's a great privilege for you. But, so just understand, young folks, the value that you bring to this church. I don't care how much money you give. It doesn't mean nothing. You bring great energy. And the point is just that is for Paul, Timothy brought energy and strength to this deal. And he says, and we sent him away. We gave our ace away. Didn't you need him, Paul? Yes, we needed him, but you Thessalonians needed him more. So we were willing to sacrifice him. And Timothy's willing to risk his life because he's a young buck going into who knows what back in Thessalonica. He's got no clue how bad it's going to be. He's risking his skin too, but yet they are willing to sacrifice. Here's your third word. Sacrifice. Sacrifice whatever is necessary to bridge the gap. Paul says, I can't come. I've been trying. So I'm going to send the next best thing. My next best thing is Timothy. I can't do everything, but I'm going to do what I can. That's our problem. We get into these issues and there's all this conflict and misunderstandings. And we think, well, I just can't fix it. So I'll do nothing. Worst thing you can do. You may not be able to fix it, but you can certainly not just sit around. Well, I don't know what to do, so I'll do nothing. No, call that person. Say, hey, we need to get down. We need to go get coffee. We need to get into something now. We need to talk. You just need to do something. Do what you can. Right? Don't do nothing. Right? You, 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 you know you got to work late and your, your wife was cooking dinner and the kids were all excited because dad was finally going to be home and you realize I can't, I'm not going to get home. Don't do nothing. Don't not call. Be like, well, they'll just have to wait for me. No, call and say, honey, I'm so sorry. I have to work late. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm supposed to play golf Saturday morning with the boys. I already called them. I, can't, I, I told them I couldn't come because I want to be with you. She's sacrificing for, to, you can't fix everything, but you can do what you can give what you can. Honey, I know you thought we were going to be this place financially and we were trying to try to get you a new car and, and we can't right now. And we, or we were going to get that new couch or new cabinet and we just, it's not a good time, but here's what I'm going to do. I go out to lunch every day and spend like 12 bucks. I'm not going to do that anymore. 
I'm going to take my lunch, peanut butter and jelly, it takes about 13 cents. And I'm going to give up going out to lunch and we're going to start putting that $10 a day away and we're going to start saving that. I'm going to give what is valuable to me to, to mend this breach. That's it. You said this, you, you, you didn't mean to say this. This is what you said. This is how they heard it. It was not your fault, but it was not your intent. You, you still own that and so you sacrifice your pride and you make a phone call and say, this is what I meant. I said this. I know you heard this. Even though you weren't guilty, even though you didn't try to do it. Well, I didn't mean to do it. They're just going to get over it. That's the way I talk. Yeah, that's, that's mature. No, own your deal, apologize and just, and you do what you can. Whatever it is that expresses love, that you can breach that gap, to bring to light what Satan loves to keep in the dark. He's a tempter. And this is why Paul, I love Paul. He, he kind of, he reminds him. He says, we kept telling you this, this kind of stuff's gonna happen. He said, right before in verse three, he says, you were destined for this. You're destined for hardship. You're destined for persecution. We told you before you were gonna suffer affliction, just as it's come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. So I knew this kind of stuff was gonna happen. That's why I've been trying to get back to you. For fear that the tempter, and this is the, only the second time in all the scripture that the word tempter for Satan, the other time is in when Jesus is being tempted. So the, the tempter would not have tempted you and my labor would be in vain. The enemy is trying to stop you. This is back to point one. Recognize it. He's trying to slow you down. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want you to have close relationships. He doesn't want you to have community. He doesn't want you to have it. Right? He said, I knew this kind of stuff because all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Because Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have trouble. Anybody got trouble? I got trouble. And so he's, he's just telling them the truth. He says, but it's okay. Because we win. Season's over. Jesus rose. And, it, and it's not awesome now, but I promise you one day it will be awesome when he comes back. Right? And so, and as we wait, we sacrifice. We give. Three words. What's the first word? Second word? Third word. Awesome. Two more real quick. Verse six. He continues. He says, but now Timothy has come to us from you. Just notice the relief in his voice. Just feel Paul. He's been waiting. He's been wondering. So now Timothy has come, come to us. He's brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you, that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. This reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. He just sense Paul's like, we have been hoping for the best. We are fearing the worst, but we've been hoping for the best. And the big problem for both of them was what? It was the lack of communication, right? They heard nothing. They heard nothing. And how often, how often is there wedges in relationships with our kids and our parents and our, and our spouse because of the lack of or faulty communication? How often? I mean, you email a person and you're like, okay, when are they going to get back to me? It's been a day. And you're like, well, I'd email them again, but then I seem needy. And I don't seem needy and overbearing. So I'll just wait. It ain't even right again. And then it's day two and you're like, well, what's going on? But I still don't want to see you. And they still haven't emailed you back. And then day three, you're just mad. 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 I was talking about Jesus in my email. They don't want to love Jesus. They don't love me or Jesus. They're satanic, those people. And we just jump to conclusions and we're all there. And we don't realize, oh, wait he's been on vacation or he's been, his kid had surgery and so he hasn't been at his computer, right? We assume the worst. And here's our fourth word, ready? Real simple word is hope. Hope for the best. Everyone say hope. hope. All right, we, we don't, don't assume the worst because that's what we immediately do. Oh, they just really don't care about me. Look, if you email me and I get it in my, if I get it while I'm driving, because you know how it goes beep and you look at the email. Oh yeah, you read it. What happens? Now it looks like unread when I get to my computer and it just gets like in one day pushed off the main screen and it's gone. Doesn't mean I don't care about you, but I might've just got forgot because I'm not allowed to email when I'm driving, even though I kind of do sometimes, but don't tell the cops. And because <laughs> my wife says, oh, don't email me. So I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying to, keep, I'm trying to stay away from that. And, and what happens? It's not, it's not intent, but it just happens. 
Because of faulty communication or lack of communication. How many times have false expectations in your marriage or unspoken expectations caused everything to blow up? Where, you're, where some, one of the members is like, well, I expected you to do X. Well, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, but you should know that. We've been married for like 26 years. You should know that this is what I expect from you. But you don't tell me that. And bad communication, bad, bad expectations. It may not be. Maybe your son, your wayward kid, is, is not angry with you. Maybe he's just overwhelmed with shame because of what happened. And he's just afraid how you're going to respond when he calls, if he calls. Maybe you don't really know. Or maybe your spouse is not really numb to your feelings. Maybe they're just overwhelmed because they've tried and tried and tried to please you and make you happy and they've always failed. And so they're just, they've just quit. It's not that they don't care, but they just, they just don't feel like they can do anything. Or maybe it's not your kid is apathetic or this person is apathetic. Maybe it's a, a insecurity because they just feel like I can't do that. I don't want anybody to know that. Maybe that person's not trying to just be short with you. Maybe that's just their personality. They're just direct, they're to the point, and boom. Right? This, this is why technology, I love technology, it's great. It's why it also is horrible. Because email is one of the greatest places to cause conflict. Because some of you, we see this on staff all the time, not the conflict part, but just the difference in personalities. Some of you, you write these nice long emails and you spend all this time and you're like, Ooh. it's like Talavo and Ethan. You get an email from them, it's like two pages long. It's nice, it's good punctuation, capital letters. It's beautiful. It's like, oh. And then you get me and Rad. Okay, send. Sure. Perfect. Right? And, and if you, you read that, you might think, well, Bill, is, mad, is he mad at me? I don't know. Like, I, I don't, ooh. Man, I don't know if I should email him back. Should I ever bother him again? Because all I got was, okay, that's great. I, it has nothing to do with I'm mad, you're mad. It's all personality. I'm not going to write the two page, well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate that. And oh, it was so, so nice to see you on Sunday. And oh, when's your birthday so I can send you a card? And blah, 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 blah. No. Okay. All right. This is personality. But this is why people get mad. Because they're like, oh, what did he, he said this, but did he really mean it? Oh, it sounded mean. Honey, could you read this? Does this sound like he said this? Because ever, ever been there? Does this, look at this text message. That looks like they're mad at me. Is that, are they really mad at me? So I hate text messaging. To, you, my kids tell me, I'm like, call your buddy to ask him. Well, we don't do that. What do you have a phone for then? I'm paying all this money. Well, we, everyone just texts now. Stop doing that. You guys have no clue what's going on because all you're doing is texting. 13 seconds. Hey, are we going to meet you there? Yeah, that's great. Okay, bye. Communication, clarity. But that's why Paul says, I want to get face to face with you. But just let's not be a people that assume the worst. That's what we do. We hope for the best. Hope, don't, and maybe, they're, maybe you're right if you're assuming wrong. But, but let it be seen. Let it come out. Don't you be the cause of it. So Paul says in verse eight, and I love this verse. This is a, it's a great verse. He says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. He says, everything that's happened, all the, it doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is that you are standing fast. It's a great verse to pray for your kids, to pray for your spouse, to pray for your friends. I don't, I don't care what college they go to. I don't care what career path God leads them into. I don't care, you know, what this person they marry, that person. Here's what matters, that they are standing fast in the Lord. They can be a landscaper, they can be a doctor, they can be a whatever, as long as they are standing fast in the Lord. And that's what Paul says. Hey, it doesn't matter. Here's what matters. You're still walking with Jesus. That's all I care about. And there is no grudge. I mean, if it's me, I'd be like, well, I'm glad you're doing well. But it's, you know what? How could you doubt me? I'm the Apostle Paul. Look what I've done. I mean, look what I've done for you. Look how much we gave. Look how much we sacrificed. It'd be nice if y'all at least said, I'm sorry. Is it so hard to say I'm sorry? Caused me a lot of sleepless nights. Now you're doubting me. There's none of that. I'm just glad you're walking with God. I'm just glad it's done. And there's no, well, I'll say I'm sorry when you say, how, how many of times have we in our lives, we will... We'll perpetuate this deal because this is our attitude. Well, 
I'm not moving until they move first. They say, I'll, you know, I'll meet when they come to me. Right? I'll forgive them when they come to me first. Said no spirit-filled Christian ever. I mean, how thankful are we that God the Father did not say, all right, I'll send a son to forgive him after they start living right, after they start loving me, after they tell me how much they care, after they tell me how much they're sorry, then I'll send Jesus. Well, we'd be in big trouble, wouldn't we? For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? And so we're just modeling what Jesus, and I know this is not easy, but remember, he moved first and he was not the guilty one. He was the innocent one. He is moving towards the guilty one so that he may take the guilt of the guilty one on himself, the innocent one. That is how we handle the wedges. Is it easy? No. Is it the call of the Christian? Yes. Yes. Right? Four words. Word number one? Word number two? Word number three? Word number four. One more. Here, and here's a, a key one. Because some of you are thinking, I can't do that. And you know what? You're right. Some of you are like, ah, everything's good right now. Everything's great. I have a good relationship with my parents, my kids, blah, blah, blah. Some of you are like, when I'm talking about this, you have a picture in your mind and a dartboard in your office. Right? And you know exactly who I'm talking about. And you're thinking, there's no way I can move towards that because you don't know what they did. And I would say, you are right. On your own, there is no way that you can do that. And so here's why I love how Paul closes this out. And just real quick, what does he do? He prays. He prays. And here's what he prays. What, after verses 9 and 10, he, where he thanks God again for them. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that you may be established, so that he, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. He prays. And in this prayer, I want you to see our final word. Our final word is power. Say power. power. Because he, 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 you cannot do it on your own, but he gives you tools and enablement and energy so that you can do it. And, and the three things he kind of hits in, this, in these, this little prayer is the same three things we've seen throughout this book. Faith, hope, and love. And these are tools of God has given us. God empowers us to do this very thing. And so he starts off in the first verse and he says, may God our Father himself and the Lord Jesus. And it's real interesting, kind of Trinitarian little deal here. He uses two subjects, but yet he uses a singular verb, which is very bad English, it's very bad Greek, and it is very good theology. Because it's the activity of God, the Father, God, the Son, and ultimately God, the Spirit, where they are directing. And what he is saying is, I am entrusting you, God, to deal with our relationship. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know if we're going to get back to you to be face-to-face, -face, but I'm just going to entrust it to him. Here's what you need to do to have power, is you just hand this relationship over to God. It's not that you just sit back and let go and let God. You do your part, but you entrust it to God. You surrender it to God. And how many of us would be in so much of a better place instead of trying to handle it and I'll deal with it, I'll get back. If you just give it to him, so much good happens there. There's your faith. Second thing that he, that he prays is that, is that they, their love would abound, that it would increase for one another as their love does. And some of you are you're thinking, I cannot, I cannot love that person. I am here and there's no way I can love. And, and God would say, you're right, so I will increase your capacity. That's what he's, what he's praying here. I'm going to increase your capacity to love. Would you be willing to ask God that? God, I don't feel like loving that person because they are a jerk. And they may very well be. But God can say, yeah, but I can increase. So are you, and I love you. I can increase your capacity to love in ways you can't fathom. Would you be willing to ask him that? It's a hard thing to ask. Would you willing? There's your love. And then the last thing is hope. He says that, that he will establish your hearts blameless in holiness when? 
at the coming of Jesus. Our hope, our final hope, the return of Christ, when he, when he ends all these dumb little things that we've been fighting over. And he says, in the meantime, I am preparing you. I am making you holy. I am making you blameless. I'm making you more like myself. And when you love and when you forgive and you close these breaches, that's what you're doing. But that's the hope, that he will come back. And look, he is not asking us to do anything, y'all, that God has not already himself done. In fact, I was thinking about it this week. All five of these things. Did God recognize the true enemy? Yeah. Sin, death, Satan. He crushed them at the cross. Right? Did God verbalize, does he ever verbalize his love and his value of us? How many times can he tell us how much he loves us, how much he cares about us? Did God sacrifice anything for us? Only his most precious, only begotten son. Does God hope for the best for us? He empowers us. He strengthens us. He's given everything that we need for life and godliness. Does God give us power? All we need in Christ. He's just asking us to follow and imitate him. Because there's no greater breach than the breach that we had with God because of our sin. And he closed it in Jesus and so now he says, hey, you're my people, you're my church. What are our five words? Number one? Second one? Third? Fourth? Fifth. All right, that's where we're going. Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me and we'll worship. And as you're your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed. And, and some of you, again, you, you know the person that God has put on your heart already. The Spirit of, of God has, has made you aware. And, and here's my encouragement to you. Don't go home and just let that go away. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a coffee shop. But somehow, some way, you have action that needs to be taken. Don't, don't just put it off. If, if the Spirit is speaking today, then do not harden your heart. Towards him. And, and for us, just for maybe everything's good right now, just keep these little words in your pocket. Write them down. Because the time is going to come when you either hurt or you are hurt by someone. Maybe it was intentional, maybe it's not. And these, these are just tools for us as we walk with Jesus. Father, as we worship, as we close, make us one as you are one. It's, it's not always easy because we live in a fallen, broken world. But we thank you for Paul, his model. Uh, the way he just lived his life in front so that people could see it. He wasn't perfect, but yet uh, he gave him victory. I just pray you would give us and give us strength. And, and there's a lot of real pain in here and no one's display, just, just denying that. But yet you have given us everything we need to follow you. And so I just pray we would in Jesus' name.